Welcome. I'm so excited to be here with you at the very first North, Send North America conference. This is very exciting. Now, my project here at the conference is going to be twofold. And this morning, we're going to start with the heavy stuff. Because I know you're all awake right now, right? <laughs> you had your coffee, you got your four hours of sleep, and now you're ready to go deep into apologetics. I can see it in your eyes. <laughs> yeah, I hear it. Same, bring it over here. All right. So this morning we're going to dig deep. We're going to go through some of those terms that if you were in the, if you were in the sessions last night, like Stetzer said, these are those terms, you know, if you can order Starbucks coffee, you can learn the theological terms. If you heard that quote last night, well, you're going to learn some terms today in this session. Okay. Cause part of our project is going to be to deal with the problem of evil in this morning session. <laughs> we're going to deal with the whole problem of evil for all time in history. And you're going to have all the answers. <laughs> yeah. Now, you know, that's not true, right? <laughs> we're going to touch on it. We're going to touch on it this morning. And then, uh, my, my reason for going into this topic at a church planting conference is that I want to help believers have confidence in what they believe. I want, when you go out to talk to people, I want you to be able to be confident exactly in knowing that what you have is the truth and that the other options don't just don't even come close. Okay, so when you're offering Jesus, you're not just saying he's one of many different views, but he's the only solution to the world's problems. So uh, we're going to do that this morning. Then this afternoon, we're going a little bit into um, what I'm writing on for a Bible study for Lifeway, which is how to have a, a good conversation and, uh, on, in apologetics, but about your beliefs. And it comes from the viewpoint of an atheist. So I'm using an atheist viewpoint in order to tell you Christians how to better have a conversation in order to convert them. <laughs> so at 3 o'clock, that's what we're going to do. But this morning, we're going to dig deep here into some apologetics. All right, background on me. You heard a bunch. And since you got a lot, I'm only going to tell you a little bit more. Um, I did not expect to be doing apologetics, right? I didn't wake up one day and go, wow, I want to be a Christian apologist. <laughs> or even a speaker. <laughs> in fact, uh, I actually wanted to be a band director. That was my lifelong goal. And uh, I, I brought some pictures with me. They're kind of hard to see, I realize. But, and, well, that one's really hard to see. <laughs> but uh, there's my little middle school jazz band. The arrow is showing you me in black in front of them, conducting them. Uh, here's another picture of what I wanted to do. There's some of my kids with me in the, uh, at Mustang North Middle School in Oklahoma. And there's some of our trophies we won. This is, so what I thought I'd be doing for life looks kind of, well, not like those guys. There we go. Looks kind of like that guy. I wanted to take over, uh, that's not John Williams, <laughs> but I wanted to take over John Williams' position as the conductor of the Boston Pop Symphony Orchestra. That's what I told, that's my plan, God. That's what I want to do, okay? Um, this is not the plan. So what happened? Well, the reason that I'm an apologist, and I think this is an important part of why I'm up here talking to you about this today. You heard a little bit about it from Kathy. The reason I'm an apologist is several years after getting into ministry with my husband, I became a believer at the age of 20, and then quickly got into ministry with my husband. We did youth ministry. We did music ministry. We did youth and music ministry, <laughs> and... Uh, as we were doing that, I began to see some things in the church that caused me to doubt my faith. And I'm going to pause right there. There's a bunch of room right over here if you want to walk 
here in front of the podium. Just make a break for it. Go quickly. Everybody watch them as they go by. And comment on outfits. <laughs> That's right. There is seating on the floor right here next to me. <laughs> All right. Good problem. Good problem. Okay. So, quick quiz. Where are we? What am I talking about? Apologetics. And now... Why I was doubting what I believed. Okay, good job. Gold stars for all of you, a few platinum out there. All right. I, why I doubted what I believed. Well, that was because in the ministry, I started to see things in the church that didn't match up with what I was reading in the Bible. Uh, I saw a lot of people who profess God's word is true who weren't even attempting to live that way. Okay? And that caused a doubt in me. That caused some uh, dissonance in my mind. I was going, hey, wait a minute. If the Bible's saying all these things, then why aren't we able to live like it's true at all? And why is not, nobody, it didn't look to me like anybody was trying. And then I looked at myself and I went, oh, it's even worse for me because I don't even feel like I'm trying. I don't even see these things in my own life. So I started to doubt. And that was an emotional doubt based on what I was experiencing in the church and in my own life. But there's a second part to this doubt. And that is, I wasn't going deep enough in my faith with what I believed. Let me qualify that statement with, I was a minister's wife. I was teaching Sunday school. I was teaching at youth camp. I was helping put on musicals. Uh, I was doing all, I was a counselor at those camps. You know, I was doing all of that stuff by any means of looking at me from the outside. You would have said, this is a good Christian, right? But I just was not going deep enough to handle the problems that this life presents. And I wasn't answering the hard questions. So when life got hard and I look at the church and I'm not seeing people living what they say they believe, I started to doubt. And what I did was amazing. I didn't just go read all the new atheists and go, ah, there you go. Christianity's awful. For some reason, I came up with the idea that if God's real, then he's got the best answers. The best answers to all these issues will point back to God. And that's exactly what I found in studying apologetics. And that's how I got to this point in front of you, is that uh, I went to answer my own doubts, and I ended up teaching those things to the church. Got a degree in apologetics and became, as she said, a certified apologetics instructor with the North American Mission Board. All right. So now it seems like a lot of you know what I'm talking about when I say apologetics, apologetics, that sort of stuff. Um, but let me just give you a quick definition in case you're not understanding that. To make an apology, that word apology, which is where we get apologetics, means to make a case. To make a case. Offer a defense. Lawyers do this. Okay? Especially defense lawyers that make a, a defense of what they believe. Why do we think apologetics is good for the church? Because we see it throughout the New Testament. Um, Apollos is arguing for the Christian faith, arguing in a good sense. Uh, Paul, all the way through Acts, he's arguing, especially Acts 17, 26. He's offering a great case for what he believes. In fact, 
his his commentary on the uh, to the men and the Areopagus in uh, Acts 17 is one of the best defenses of the Christian faith and one of the best laid out defenses of the resurrection in the New Testament. And then we see Jesus who used Socratic dialogue with people and who asked questions of people in order for them to discover truth. So apologetics is being used throughout the New Testament, this, this idea of making a, a case. But also, if you want to locate it specifically, we can find it in 1 Peter 3.15, where Peter is actually talking to a group of persecuted Christians. And apparently these persecuted Christians are afraid for their lives. And he tells them, you need to put Christ as Lord in your life. Make him Lord and then always be prepared to make the defense, the apology. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for the reason for the hope that is in you. Okay? For the, a reason for the hope that is in you. And that's where we're going to focus today. And I have to do it fast. And I'm going to do it small, big concept in a small way today, okay? But we're going to focus on why do Christians have hope in a world full of evil? Well, the reason that we have hope in a world full of evil is because of Jesus. Because he's a very real solution to the problem of evil. That's why Jesus in a world embracing many beliefs. All right, we're done. Let's go. (laughs) We can order pizza now. What do I mean by this, this problem of evil? And I, I left space on your page for you to write out a definition. Oh, okay, a very small space. <laughs> um, this is not the formal definition of this problem, but it is one that we can use for us. Many people doubt God. Many people doubt God's existence or have trouble trusting God because they say, you know, if God's so good, why is his world so bad? If an all-good, all-wise, all-loving, all-just, and all-powerful God is running the show, why does he seem to be doing such a miserable job of it? Why do bad things happen to good people? This is a question that is prevalent in our culture, especially in the unbelieving world. Um, We find it everywhere. And it's, so it's a problem that you are going to run into, if you are, especially if you're church planting, okay? Uh, and it's, hopefully you're going gonna, gonna to run into this issue because it means you either found a doubter or you found somebody who doesn't believe in God and here's their reason why. So I hope that you run into this issue and that you have some foundation, some solid answer, something to give them hope in this world. And everyone that you encounter will have had an experience with the problem of evil, with pain, suffering, death in this world. Everyone that you encounter. Everyone has had a problem with this. There's nobody that escapes the problem of evil. It, it also makes us the number one objection to the Christian faith. And according to um, scholar Peter Kreeft, more people have abandoned their faith due to the problem of evil than for any other reason. Okay, than for any other reason. It's the greatest test of faith, and it's the greatest temptation to unbelief. And folks, this is not just an intellectual problem, although we'll deal with that side of it today. This is a problem we live and we feel. Okay? So even when we answer the problem of evil, when we give people a, an argument and we say, hey, you know, here's, here's my argument, here's my case for why I believe Jesus is the answer, you're still going to have people reject based on the fact that there's an emotional issue that goes along with this because evil is difficult no matter how, who's experiencing it and how they experience and how they experience it. Okay. 
It's just that difficult of a problem. All right. So we've got evil established as a problem. It's the number one objection to the existence of God. But I see that Jesus is the only solution to that problem. And that's why Jesus in a world embracing many beliefs. So let's look at some reasons. These should be on your paper. All right. Now we're going to dig into it, okay? Different beliefs cannot be equally true. Okay? That's one of the reasons. Different beliefs are different, and there is one belief that best corresponds to reality. So let's look at these. And I'm going to fly, and I know that. (laughs) I know that. All right, so why are we handling reason number one? Why do I have to tell people that not everything that everybody believes can actually be true? Well, because of people like Oprah Winfrey. One of the most powerful women in the world, one of the most influential, if not the most influential, and she says things like, when she talks about spirituality and God, she says there are millions of different ways of being human. How could there possibly be one way? This is something she said on her program. Okay? And she's relating specifically to an audience member that's saying, well, what about Jesus? She says, how can there possibly be one way? There's millions of ways of being. How can you possibly say it's only Jesus? So we've got a society that when we go out there and we want to tell them that Jesus is the only way, they look at us as arrogant or as, hey, you can't possibly know that because look at all these different ways. Okay? So we have to provide an answer to that. Well, let's look at the formal understanding of this. Oh, uh, they're called, here's the words. Religious pluralism and religious relativism. They are defined on your paper Uh, Under reason number 1A, represented uh, in short form by the coexist bumper sticker, (laughs) which uh, has some intellectual problems with the philosophical problems, uh, obviously, and we are getting a good giggle out of it. Okay, so religious pluralism. I have two definitions there for you. One is the popular view, and the other is called sophisticated as I, as I give these to you, I'll tell you why they're broken up that way. The popular definition is that all religions are equally true and they roughly say the same thing. That's the one you're likely to encounter with the average person on the street. Okay? That is the one. Now, the next one is called sophisticated because it, more, it understands that these different beliefs... They're not all the same. They're not actually the same. So they're not teaching the same things about evil in the universe. Uh, So you can't say they're all the same, but look at what the sophisticated version does. It says all religions are equally capable of bringing salvation and producing morally upright people. They're all capable of bringing salvation. So conquering one part of that is going to be conquering this problem of evil. Now, the reason it's called sophisticated instead of academic is because not all academics are using the sophisticated version. Okay, some of them are using, they believe that popular version. That's why you've got the two stated the way they are. What is relativism? Well, it maintains that one religion can actually be true for one person or culture, but not for another. So no religion, therefore, is exclusively true. And that's what you're up against. How can you say that you've got what's true? None of them are true, are exclusively true, because they're all true, okay? So let's look at the problems with this. Uh, For our time today, we're going to handle just that first one. Okay, so we got this thing, multiple truths are true, 
Multiple truths about God could possibly be true. Well, the problem is that to say that there are multiple truths about anything, including God, the universe, evil, that's absurd. Let's look at why. This seems to stem from a misunderstanding about truth. So we kind of need to reintroduce people to two, two very prominent characters in history. Pontius Pilate here, who when Jesus comes before him in John 18 and says, uh, I have come, my purpose is that I have come to testify to what is true. That's what Jesus actually tells Pilate. I, my purpose is to bear witness to the truth. So what does Pilate say? Well, that's true for you, but not for me. Is that what he says? That's nice for No, he says, what is truth, right? Well, Pilate needs to maybe study his own people's history and philosophers. Of course, Pilate's Roman, but uh, Aristotle there, the Greek philosopher, who didn't live too long before Pilate, a couple hundred years. He, well, a few hundred years. Uh, he says that his definition of truth is that which corresponds to reality. Okay, seems pretty basic. That's not how Aristotle said it. Said it. He said it really fancy. He said, if you say something is, and it is, you have said something true. If you say something isn't, and it is, you've said something false. And then he says the whole converse. Now, basically, what he's saying is if I say the grass is green, and it's green, I've said something true. If I say the grass is purple, and it's green, I've said something false. Okay, so it can't be both. It's either true or false. This is where we're getting hung up on these different beliefs. Let's look at another example about truths in our universe. (laughs) What about cocaine? (laughs) They're looking at me like, wow, you really put cocaine up there. All right. Can I say that cocaine addiction will kill you? And that be equally true with cocaine addiction will not kill you. Can those both be true? No, they can't. It's, gonna, it's either one or the other. If you want to say that both of these are true, equally true, like if you believe it, that's, I keep coming to you. It's the pretty color. <laughs> I'll pick somebody else. If I come to you and I say uh, both of these are equally true, you're going to think I'm absurd, aren't you? You're going to say, no, that's... You know, one of them matches to the way the world really is. That means either it's going to kill you or it's not. But it can't both be true. Let's look at our project. Some of the belief systems out there teach that evil is real. And some of them teach that there is no real evil. Okay? Can they both be true? Can they both match reality? No. It's one or the other. It's got to be one or the other. So if you got a belief system, oh, I'm jumping ahead. Never mind. Okay, so what we need to do, oh, on your paper there, let's cover that quote real quick. Under to say there are multiple truths is absurd, Paul Copan says, beliefs are simply not to be equated with truth or reality. They are to conform to truth. So I can't just say, I believe it, therefore it is. What I believe has to match with the way the world, the universe really is. Okay. That's what I believe Christianity does. It matches the way the universe really is. 
So what we got to do here is we got to discover what's true. We got to discover what is actually true. What view of evil and its solution best matches reality in this universe? That's what we're looking for. This is the number one objection to God. This is a huge issue. We got to find out which view of evil best matches reality in this universe. So not all of them can be equally true because that's going to lead to absurdity. Just like our cocaine will kill you, cocaine will not kill you, the addiction. Um, So we don't want to be led away from knowledge. We want to gain knowledge. We want to move towards truth. This is going to play into my three o'clock session when we're having a discussion with an atheist or that's what it's going to be based on, but it'll be, you can use it with anybody. We both want to be in the process of discovering what is actually true. That's what we both want to be doing. So we want to move towards knowledge. So we don't want to say things like anything is true, right? Because that leads to absurdity. Further, multiple answers to the truth of evil doesn't mean that there's no answer. Okay. Just because there are multiple views of God, evil, the universe, doesn't mean that there's no truth to be found. Let me give you an example of this. In this picture, there's a truth that there is an accident in the intersection. Okay? Now, around the intersection, there's a lot of viewpoints on that particular bit of knowledge, that truth. There's a lot of viewpoints. Okay? I may be down here in the corner coming from the atheist viewpoint of what happened, okay? I might be up in the Hindu corner, or I might be in the Muslim corner or the Christian corner of the intersection looking on the accident and trying to figure out what's true. But just because I'm coming from a different viewpoint doesn't mean that there's ultimately no truth about the accident in that intersection, right? There is a truth about what happened, no matter what our viewpoints are or where we're coming from. So we actually got to find what that is. We can't just dismiss everything like Oprah does and say, hey, there's a lot of people around there, so we can never, we can never say there was one thing that happened. We can never say that there was really an accident in that intersection. Okay? And she kind of dismisses it that way. So what we're after is finding out what view has the most truth about the universe in which we live. So let's look at our, okay, so the first reason we covered was that not all beliefs can be equally true. That leads us to absurdity, folks. When somebody tells you you're intolerant for saying Christianity is the only way, you're going to say, what? No, I'm just trying to avoid being absurd, okay? Big difference. All right, reason number two, different beliefs are different. (laughs) They are different, They don't all say the same things like pluralism, the popular view of pluralism, teaches. They are actually different. Each worldview has different beliefs about evil. Each worldview has a different belief about evil. What is the nature of evil? Where is evil coming from? Why is something considered evil in that view? How should we react to it? And what's evil's ultimate end? As we just learned, all these conflicting views cannot be true. So we got to look for what best matches. Therefore, we should carefully scrutinize each of these views. Let me just say a quick note on the importance of this task. The importance of figuring out what you believe about evil and where it comes from and why it's here, it's huge. 
It is huge. First of all, everyone is affected by evil. Everyone experiences evil. Nobody in this world gets a free pass. Well, I have no experience of that. Secondly, you are dealing with the most important subject in life. How do I know what is good? And this affects everything you decide. It affects uh, who you marry. It affects how you do ministry. It affects whether or not you get into ministry. It affects whether you believe that there's a source of good called God. It, it, it affects a whole bunch of decisions. It affects whether or not you brush your teeth. <laughs> Is it good to brush your teeth? Will it not, you know, help you not have cavities? It affects everything. So how do I know what is good and evil is one of the most important questions that we can deal with in this world. So there's no room here. Well, and it goes on. I know I'm, I'm focusing on some of the trivial matters, but it affects eternity. Is there an afterlife? Is there punishment for evil? Is there justice, real justice? So there's no room for apathy on this uh, issue. All right, so let's look at some of the uh, different beliefs. Now, on your paper... They're on the back. And um, I didn't list what they were. I didn't put, this is called this belief, right? I've done that in the past, and I have found that sometimes that adds to uh, people bring in assumptions about that belief. So I just listed out here what they are, and we'll fill in belief number two here as we go. But let's, let's look at these real quick. Belief number one about evil and the universe is that the universe and everything in it is strictly made up of matter, of physical material. Matter is all there is. God does not exist. Death is the extinction of personality and individuality. So death is it. You cease. That's the end of it. Since everything is reducible to matter... A transcendent and objective standard of what's called good and evil does not exist in this view. Everything is just the way it is. Okay? That's just the way things are. That's belief number one. Let's add in belief number two. Perhaps. Ah, there it is. I know I can say this a lot faster than you can write it. So I'm going to pause. There are two basic forces in the universe. One is good. One is evil. These forces have existed eternally alongside each other. Always been there. Neither is greater than the other. And there is nothing beyond these forces to determine what is preferable. Man can follow one or the other. Okay? There's just good, evil. They coexist eternally. (laughs) You see, they're writing what you're blocking right now. (laughs) They're like, we know, we know. While you're finishing writing that up, I'm sorry, I uh, I ramp up and I almost, I feel like I'm yelling at you sometimes. That's the band director in me. I always think I have like 180 kids on a marching band field when I'm talking. And uh, 
I try, I try to curtail that a little bit, but that's my mindset is always, all right, go here, go there. Some of you are taking pictures on your iPhone. That's exactly what I would do. Okay. We're almost there. While you're finishing that up, belief number three is that God and his creation are one and the same. So God is the one infinite and personal ultimate reality. God is the cosmos. God is all that exists and nothing exists that is not God. Each person is God. There is not one true path to reality. There are many paths to reality. The goal is to realize your oneness with the cosmos, which is God, and to pass beyond notions such as good and evil. Good and evil are basic. They are illusory. They are not real since the cosmos is perfect at every moment. In other words, everything is good and nothing is good. Everything is good and nothing is good. It just is. And humans must come to this realization to reach what is real. Belief number four. God is creator of the universe. He is separate from his creation. So he's transcendent. That's that word transcendent. He's beyond his creation. He is not the same as his creation. God's nature is good. And he is the transcendent objective standard of goodness. Departure from the goodness of God is called sin. It is evil. Evil is real and it has real consequences both in the physical and spiritual parts of life. All men have departed from the goodness of God and are in need of salvation from evil as well as being in need of forgiveness of their sins. These are just four of the views out there. We didn't get all of them, but we don't have a semester to do all of that. So these are the four views. Now, as you can see in just my descriptions, these are different. And these are hugely different. And they're going to have big implications for solving that problem of evil, that number one objection. Okay? And what we're going to do in reason three is we're going to start to sift through just these four views, okay? We're going to start to sift through them to see why I'm saying Jesus is the solution. So you got your different beliefs. Hopefully you got that. And now here we go. Oh, uh, one one more point is that these have conflicting foundational beliefs. That's what I was just saying. Some of these are teaching that there is real evil. Some are teaching that there is no real evil. As we learned previously, to say both are true leads us to absurdity, not to truth, not to knowledge. So they have conflicting foundational beliefs. They can't both be true. So what is? All right. So we get to our final reason. We've looked at not all beliefs can be equally true. We've looked at the second reason, which is that the different beliefs, they are different. They don't all teach the same thing. Finally, reason three is that there is one belief then that's going to best correspond to reality. One belief that's going to correspond to reality with regard to evil, the problem, how to solve it, all that stuff that goes along with the problem of evil. 
What we're going to look for is a belief that recognizes evil is real. How can you have an objection to God based on the fact that there's evil in the world if you don't believe that there's something called real evil? Kind of blows up your objection, right? What are you even talking about? What's evil? That's what I would say. I mean, what is evil if you don't have a view that entails real evil? Okay. Second, establish an objective standard of goodness. That's something our view, we're going to look for in our views. Does it establish where we get goodness from and how we know it's good? Third, we're going to establish the need for a solution to the problem of evil. And fourth, we're going to prov- look for a view that provides a solution that overcome real, overcomes real evil, but then goes further and provides real hope, which is another common experience to all of mankind, this idea of hope. Okay, so we are not just looking for a solution, any old solution. We're actually looking for a solution with the most truth, the one that best corresponds with the reality of this universe. Let's look at recognizing real evil. So let me ask you, you have your beliefs in front of you there. Which beliefs do not provide a basis for the existence of real good and evil? Out of just the ones I've listed here, which ones do not provide a basis for real good and evil? Yeah, you got one. Some people are saying one, two, three. Some people are saying one and three. Yeah, you could arguably say one, two, and three, right? Bam, they're all gone. Four is the only one left. But now two, we could argue, because there is a force called evil and a force called good. Okay. All right. So let's keep whittling. That, that kind of leaves us with the beliefs that actually has a basis for good and evil in it. How about which ones establish a standard of goodness? That is, which beliefs offer a standard of good, goodness that is objective, unchanging, and knowable? That means it's not based in humanity. It's not based in humankind's subjectivity, their opinions, their changing culture. Which beliefs offer an objective Standard that's outside of humanity. You've got four. You could argue two. Okay. So how... (laughs) We have to establish what is actually good in order to know what's evil, right? We have to establish what's good in order to know what's evil. Otherwise, how do we know what is evil if we have no basis for what isn't evil? Now, let's look at that number two, because it's an interesting view. (laughs) Number two has a problem. Good and evil exist equally. One of them is not preferred over the other. So how do you know which one's really good and which one's really evil? You don't. There's no way to know. I don't think you're going to encounter that view a whole lot, but you kind of saw it in Star Wars. (laughs) you kind of saw it in star wars but even in acknowledging the good and the evil exist right by each other there's always a lean towards the good right we have no way of defining that that's the actual preferable one if they're both equally coexistent how about a solution recognizes a need for the solution or establishes a need for the solution to the problem of evil which beliefs recognize that there must be a solution that one's kind of tricky isn't it 
It would exclude any belief that ultimately teaches evil is just the way things are. Because you can't solve a problem when the problem doesn't exist, right? Can't solve the problem if it doesn't exist. So any belief that doesn't acknowledge real good and evil have a basis for establishing that has no problem to solve. There's no problem to solve. But that's, look at this. Isn't this amazing? That is contradictory to the entire human experience. We're all suffering from evil and pain. And yet some of these beliefs don't have a way of establishing what evil is and that it actually exists. But this doesn't mean that those beliefs don't teach a solution to humanity's problems. A lot of times um, we'll hear that you must realize that there is no such thing as good and evil. There just is. So you need to move beyond that. Okay? That doesn't match up with the real problem of evil that we're all suffering from. Another solution that's provided from one of these beliefs would be that when you give people education and provide them with the right opportunities, they do what is right. Well, what's right? You'd have to establish what's good and evil in order to assume what's right. And we know a lot of people with a lot of education that didn't do what we call right. One of their names is Hitler. (laughs) Hitler's not a dumb guy. (laughs) He's smart, right? He's very well educated. Very well, he can express himself very well. And yet he didn't do what was right. So education doesn't seem to be the solution. So we would have to find which belief actually acknowledges that there's a problem that there must be solved, that there's a solution needed. And then finally, we're looking for a belief that provides a solution that overcomes evil and offers real hope. What beliefs actually overcome that evil actually defeat it? Don't just say maybe it's there, but actually defeat it. Yeah, I've kind of stacked the deck here. It's four, right? It's four. Why would evil need to be defeated? That's an interesting thought. Everybody has a problem with it. In fact, this theme of good overcoming evil is so prevalent. It's so usual and so normal that you find it in all of the stories throughout history. Not all of them. There's a few that do it. But you find it repeatedly throughout history over and over. Not just in myths, but everywhere. This idea that good must triumph over evil. Yet all, not all beliefs are consistently teaching that this is even a real problem. So it seems that we've got some beliefs out there that want to utilize real good and evil, but they have no basis for a foundation in real good and evil. They have no way of making a foundation. So look for beliefs that recognize that evil is real, that they have a standard by which they can demonstrate what, is e- what evil is, and then provides a solution consistent with the real problem. Okay, I know I'm just speeding on through and I'm not... I'm not answering everything in detail. But I got to get to the the final thing here, which is hope. Which is hope. What is the hope? Okay, so let's say you go through everything and you say, well, you know, that belief number one doesn't look too bad. Okay, so belief number one, pretty good, right? What's the hope that it offers? Okay, so you suffer from, look at belief number one again. You suffer your whole life. 
with horrendous evil. Maybe you were, you know, maybe you've experienced some really bad stuff like murders in the family or rape or something like, what is the hope provided by belief? Number one? Well, it will all end when you die. That's it. Your hope is eventually you die and you're gone. I don't see real hope in that. Okay. I, that to me is like, it's just the way it is. So, and this is going to sound awful, but quit your complaining. That's just the way the world is. And we've actually had people, scholars who hold to the belief number one, who have worked their idea all the way out and have said things like rape is not really wrong. It's just part of the evolutionary process. Okay. That's where that kind of belief leads. There is no hope there, folks. There's no hope in that view. Uh, other views on our other beliefs on our page, uh, the um, belief number three also entails a belief in reincarnation, which I didn't list there. Sorry about that. A return to death and suffering and the problem of evil over and over is what reincarnation is. You return to that problem over and over and over. So your great hope in this life is that you may come back in the next life and suffer a little bit less. Okay? And go through death all over again. That's, that's the great hope there. So look at what is the hope provided by this worldview. I'm constantly asking when I'm engaging with atheists or I'm engaging with people, well, what is the hope in your worldview? Where is that located and where is it coming from? Is there justice in your worldview? Everybody's always crying out for justice to this problem of evil. How is it dealt with? Because if in the end you die and that's it, then everybody's the same. Whether you murdered six million people or you saved a hundred lives in the ER, you're the same person in the end. And if you look at the top of your page, if you read that quote, that's what that quote is saying. In the end, we all just end up in the ground and the earth just tumbles on into oblivion. And eventually the universe dies, a heat death, and that's the end of it. So it doesn't actually matter what you did. There is no real justice. You just die. That's the end of things. So what is the hope? All right. So I've been alluding to all this time, belief number four, haven't I? <laughs> I stack the deck. I know it. Hey, this belief actually provides a real answer to evil. And it goes back to 1 Peter 3.15. Why are these persecuted Christians offering a case for the hope that is in them? Because they're dealing with a world full of evil, and people are surprised by your hope. Last night, the video, if you were in the sessions last night, that Aurora shooting video, with the guy who said, you know, I just want to tell him that there's forgiveness. I want, to, I want to pray for the guy. That's real hope. How does he have that hope? Because he's a Christian. Okay? Because he's a Christian. And here's how I believe that works out. You actually have real hope. You actually have the answer to great evil if you're a Christian. That answer is a great God who suffers to overcome the evil. God taking the sin and the effects of evil upon himself in order to deal with this problem. He actually takes the penalty on himself. That's a unique contribution in this world to solving the problem of evil. You can't find that anywhere else. This is it. It's not I choose Christianity because I believe I'm better than you or I'm intolerant or arrogant. I believe that God is the only hope to solving the problem of evil. That's why I choose Jesus. 
in a world that has many beliefs, this one actually matches up with my real experience of evil and my real desire for hope and justice in this world. God himself becomes the major victim of evil resulting from sin. He's a fellow sufferer with us and of the evil in this world. And he's, because he suffers with us, he is consequently able to deliver us from the effects of that evil. How does he deliver us? I know that this is all, you know this, but let's do it. <laughs> let's do, he delivers us through providing justice and that he actually pays the price for the evil in this world. The real evil that is done in this world is not ignored. And it doesn't just evaporate into the cosmos. It is treated as truly evil and unjust. Requiring that there is justice for it. Requiring that a penalty be paid. God delivers us through the suffering, suffering the penalty, which is death, which is also the ultimate punishment for evil. And he defeats that evil through the resurrection. Okay? He defeats that evil. At the, he defeats it by, at the very core of its consequence, which is death. He defeats it there by resurrecting. Wow. That's like what Lou Giglio said last night. If you're not freaking out about the resurrection still, you ought to be. Because the resurrection is that solution to the problem of evil. He brings new life there where there once was only death. And he shows us through the resurrection that you're right. There is a problem of evil. And it will be solved. And God will do it himself. And he did it through the resurrection in order to restore the creation to its real goodness where there will be no evil or its effects. That's where your hope comes from. That's why your hope is real and not just wishful thinking or a myth. It's based in the historical resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is why I find that there is one belief, one belief that answers the problem of evil, one belief that provides a solution that actually matches up with the world, the universe as we know it. And that is what Christianity offers through Jesus Christ. So why Jesus in a world embracing many beliefs? When we say he is the answer, we're not just saying a euphemism. We're saying what's actually true. All right, guys, you have been amazing. And hanging with me all the way through this, that was a lot of stuff. Let me just remind you, at 3 o'clock, we're not going to go through all of the apologetic stuff, okay? So now that you have the solution to the problem of evil, you're going to go out and share it with everybody. <laughs> Actually, I would suggest a couple of, I would suggest digging into this a little bit more than what I've given you today. And there are two books for sale. They don't just do the problem of evil. Uh, they, they have some other uh, questions that people may have. They go through some other doubts. The Reason for God by Timothy Keller. And then the book, Come Let Us Reason, I had to put up there because I had a chapter in it. <laughs> it's not on evil, it's on pagan mythology, but uh, those are available out at the tables. It's there. He did, because I took a picture of it, because I was like, yay, my book! <laughs> well, not mine, but I'm a or contributor. It's there. I can take you to it. All right, so... Thank you all. I'm so glad that you were here in this session with me. I know, again, we just barely 
barely skimmed the surface on this issue, and we left a lot of things not filled in, okay? So there's a lot more work to be done, uh, and uh, this afternoon I'll help you see how to have a great, effective conversation from an atheist viewpoint on how to convert atheists. Let me pray for you, and then we'll, we'll take off. Father, I thank you so much for this time at this conference right now with this new work that we're doing. And Lord, I pray that no matter what else came across today, that the believers have gained some confidence and some boldness in professing who you are and why they believe in you, Father, and why they say things like Jesus is the way. And Father, help us to take this out to a world that desperately needs to hear these things and has been inundated with all this culture and just show them the real hope, the real hope that you gave us by conquering evil, Father. And Father, thank you for that. We cannot thank you enough for the resurrection. Bless our time together, Lord. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.